Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again for coming back to join us in our discussion about worldview issues, worldview matters. And I'm, I'm hoping at this point you're starting to see how diving into this topic can be beneficial for those who are overly interested in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we want to be able to reach people. I mean, that's, that's the terminology we use. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we want to do that, but we want to do it effectively. We want to do it properly. We want to do it rightly. And there is a right and a wrong way to approach one society versus another. And these are things we, we have to take into account. And we want to understand how to do that. Um, we want to get to the root of the matter. We want to take that hatchet. We want to take that ax and cut it, cut that tree down at the root. We want to go, go as deep into the society, the culture, the individual, the family that we can so that we can make sure that uh, we are effectively, properly, uh, correctly preaching the gospel and seeing real conversions, not, not false professions of faith in Jesus Christ. So, so these things are very important. This topic is very important. They, they are related. They tie together. They work together. And so it's important to kind of dive into these ideas and and gain as much understanding as we can. And this is not a replacement for, for a very clear biblical instruction. Um, what the, when the Bible is unbelievably clear about something, then it's the end of the discussion. There's nothing else to talk about. We do that. Um, but in, in some of the outlying philosophical matters that could help us um, better approach biblical realities, and, 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 and again, that's not to put these on par with what the Bible says. Um, but God didn't say everything in the Bible. Now, he told us everything he wanted us to know. The Bible's not lacking. It's not missing anything. There's just a, there's an, there's an unnecessary disconnect between the Christian mind <laughs> and thinking. And my circles, the more fundamental, independent Baptist circles, we almost look at using your brain as a negative. And, and that's, not, 
That's not at all. That's not biblical. It's not Christian. It's not, it's not right. We rely heavily on the Bible. It is the final authority. We take that as our instruction. Then we take what God gave us and we go out in the world and we build upon it so that we can apply it properly where we are. The word of God works anywhere in the world, but you're going to face different things in different cultures. Um, and, and so you want to get to the root of those issues and apply the biblical teaching properly and effectively where you are. And, and, and again, this is not to, this is not venturing into, you know, what's true for you might not be true for me. This is not venturing into, um, only applying certain things in certain places or, or, or a liberal form of Christianity where anything goes. That's not at all we're talking about, um, you know, a good example is Uganda. You come here and you begin to work with the men here and you're going to quickly find out the woman that he's calling his wife is not his wife. How are you going to resolve that? Uh, you're going to, you're going to be training this man and, and you know, you're going to pour your all into him only to find out later that um, <laughs> he has children with multiple women um, you know, their lives are a complete mess and it, and it's, it is unbelievably connected to their, their cultural perception, the way they live their lives. And so you got to figure out how to correct these things and allow the gospel to flourish and allow the word of God to be the standard. Yeah. I mean, you have to do, it's a balancing act. And, and I, I've said before on the podcast, one of the problems with our circles is we approach things from a single point of analysis. We assume that the one aspect that I have thought of is the only aspect. You know, what people then do is they, they make decisions about life, about the Christian life. Um, they, they create standards. Standards are good, but you can't create a standard based on a single point of analysis and assume that you can apply that everywhere in the world and force it upon people. You're going to make a big mistake. You're going to corner yourself. You're going to create a standard. You're going to create a, a, you know, requirements that can't be applied in this society versus that society. And rather than backing off the standard, which may or may not be explicitly biblical, it may just be nothing more than a standard, something that, that you or your group or your organization came up with. And you're going to end up boxing yourself in and creating and enforcing difficulties upon a society that can't meet that standard when the standard may not have existed in the first place. What we want to do is we want to, rather than, than saying, this is who we are in America as Christians. Now this is who you need to be in Africa as Christians. Well, <laughs> a large portion of it will translate, and a large portion of it will not translate. And so rather than saying, you know, these are the requirements, be this, and then finding out that they, they can't do that, we need to look at their society and say, okay, how are we going to apply biblical truth here to these people? What, what are their struggles? What are they dealing with? What are they fighting against? What are their difficulties? What is it that is preventing them from coming to the word of God? And, and many times it, it, there are going to be lots of similarities, but there are going to be some drastic differences and it's going to be culturally related. And so we need to be able to take a step back, identify those things, and then prepare a godly manner, a godly way to approach and, and deal with these, these um, 
numerous realities that we have to deal with on the mission field and problems we run into on the mission field. It's extremely important. So uh, I hope you get where I'm coming from, what I'm saying with this. And so to help do that, I've been studying the term worldview just to get a better understanding and perspective of of societal differences. I took a, a, a missions class course um, seminar, whatever you want to call it, at a at Cornerstone Baptist Church a few years back, and uh, they had a man there. Um, he's he's a missionary in kind of a sensitive area, so I won't mention his name. Um, but he he taught a course on culture, and um, the I forget exactly the name of the course, but it it had to do with running head on into culture. And that's, that's what this is. It's a collision course. And if you don't prepare yourself for it mentally, spiritually, um, you're, you're emotionally, it can be draining. Um, you're going to, you're going to have a serious co- co- collision that didn't have to happen. that didn't have to take place. And, and so what, what we're trying to do with this is prepare ourselves for that and, and not have the collision. But when we start to when we start to head towards difficulty, we stop, step back, and evaluate the worldview that is causing this situation so that we can then properly handle it and, and effectively move in the right direction. So um, that's our goal here. That's our point. Now, specifically, what we're going to talk about today is the origins of the term worldview. Now, we're not going to go incredibly deep into the the historical background and, and, and all of that, I, I think it is important to, to talk about it because you'll see it, it, it's a secular term. It came from philosophy. Um, I believe, you know, the, the primarily the person who, who coined the term in German is Immanuel Kant. Now, as soon as you hear that name, that's going to throw a lot of you off because, um, he was a loser. (laughs) He was a, uh, an ungodly man. Now, he was a brilliant man. Many, many brilliant men are ungodly. They, they are highly intelligent. And, and, um, and though they are ungodly and, and have many negative things from a biblical perspective, we could say about them, they often have, have accomplished work and life that, that we could, we could pick out bits and pieces of, and it would be useful to us. Now, I, I'm not going to go study Immanuel Kant. I, there, he, there may be plenty of work that he has produced that is helpful. I have heard quotes and I have read some things from him that were that were quite enlightening and were very good. But overall, he's a useless individual, a useless human being who hated God. Um, but he was interested in this concept, in, in this idea that, that the world, wherever, wherever you are in the world, you have a particular view of that world, a particular perspective. And so we're going to get into that. And we're going to look briefly at the, at the background, the history of it, and, um, and, and, and allow that to move us forward into attempting to define it. Because we, we want a good working definition of the term. And there are so many from, from anthropologists, from uh, um, sociologists, from psychologists, from you know, different different disciplines, they've all adopted this term. They use this term, even Christians. I, I believe, though, the problem with the Christian use of the term, so far as I have seen, is it's a little too shallow. It doesn't go deep enough into the inner workings of, of a culture uh, to, to be 
a very useful term. And so it, it doesn't catch on because it's, it's, it's incomplete. Um, now, now the man that, that I have really studied who, who did a deep dive into this, he's an anthropologist, but he's also a Christian. And so the combination of the two really has produced in my mind, something helpful. And that's, um, his work is the found, and we'll talk about him a, a little bit later. His work is the foundation of, of what I have learned about the term and, and has been very good. And, and, and so I, I thank the Lord for his work and all the information that he, he, he put together. He's got several, he's written several books. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit later. So, uh, you know, don't get angry. I'll tell you who he is. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you his books. He's got a couple that I have read that are very, very good. They're interesting to me. Some of you may, may find it a bit tedious because uh, he does get quite technical. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, te- it's a little tedious for me because it is so technical. Uh, but between a lot of the overly technical information, he provides a lot of good, useful information. Now, even in his book on, on the worldview, um, his name is Paul Hyber. That, that's, that's, if I'm saying his name, his last name correctly, um, just so it doesn't drive some of you too crazy. But on his book regarding the use of the term worldview, there are a couple of, a couple of ideas or his approach or, or understanding of the term um, that he brings out in his book that, that is, I believe it's a bit problematic. It's, it's not, it's not a huge deal. I, I don't guess, but he talks about the, the, the few things that I have an issue with um, is this idea that um, he's, he, he makes it seem as though as you begin to uh, begin to understand a certain culture's worldview, that you'll begin to see coherence. And I don't think that's naturally the case. You may get to the root of that culture's worldview, and you may gain better understanding of that culture because of that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that the society as a whole and, and that location and that area, those people, their background, their religion, it, it doesn't mean that it's coherent. And, and so that, that I, I take issue with the idea that, that if you can gain an understanding of a certain worldview, that you will then be able to see the coherence of the society. I mean, some, some societies stick to their worldview and that society is chaotic because of it. And, and it's chaotic because of a lack of coherence, because it, because it is, there, there's no, in, there's no, there's no real integration between the religious and, and the, the cultural background and, and the, the music and the movies and the language. It doesn't, it doesn't tie together in a coherent and seamless manner. And, and then it, it, it plays out in that society in a chaotic way. And so I, I don't, you know, maybe he didn't explain it fully, or maybe I didn't catch his explanation fully, but I don't agree that just because you can get to the source of their worldview, that doesn't mean you have found coherence within the society. In fact, it may mean that you have found the source of that society's problems, a lack of coherence, um, a lack of harmony. The second thing is that he he seems to indicate in the book that that. One society, especially early on in the book, he, d- he talks about how there used to be a numbering system for um, societies or cultures around the world that, um, 
you know, philosophers, anthropologists, scientists, th- these different disciplines would use. And the numbering system rated how primitive you were versus how, how modern you were. And, and this idea became, um, you know, xenophobic. It became improper to, to rate societies based on their, their, their lack of growth towards modernism. And by modernism, we mean, you know, not barbaric, if you will. Um, and, and so he seems to take issue, you know, with with the people who took issue with that idea, he goes along with them and said, and and seems to indicate that that all societies are equal, or um, one society can't be better than another. They're all just different, and that is not true. Uh, American society, uh, so long as it can, so so long as it has any resemblance to to the 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 character of people who formed it. Now we're a long way away from that. Um, but the West, American society, many European societies are still far superior to just about every other third world society in th- that exists. And so to, suge- to, to say that, you know, societies are just different, one is not necessarily better than another. I, I, I think people need to get over that. It's just the reality. Some societies are better than others. Uh, some have more work ethic, have more character. Some are more godly. Some are ungodly. Uh, some are violent. Um, you're going to tell me that a woman in America does not have a better situation than a, than a woman in the newly formed Afghanistan? <laughs> I, I disagree. All right, so some societies are better than others. We've just, a re- we've just arrived to a place in the world where People are uncomfortable saying that. Well, I'm not uncomfortable saying that. Uh, I, I think that it is, you could objectively measure that, that society, one society is better than another. Now, that, that being better is um, temporary, is transitive. That can change. And so you, America is a prime example. America, for the, for, for the most part, has been a, a beacon of, of, uh, in, in terms of the secular world, of terms of just the function of societies, it has been a beacon of excellence for a long time, for, for two, three hundred years now. But that is declining rapidly as we move away from the, the godly character that helped to form America. America was never a Christian nation, but it, it certainly at one time had a lot of biblical principle built into the fabric of its character. And because of that, it, it created this prosperous, powerful, free, incredible society. But now we're running rapidly away from the character that brought it into existence towards paganism. Um, and, it's, and again, it's not that we were ever void of paganism, but there was more Christian character than there was pagan character. Now we are rapidly removing the Christian character and American society is running, you know, back to or towards at least paganism. Um, Green hair, you know, purple hair, uh, tattoos, um, piercings everywhere, (laughs) Uh, gender confusion. I mean, the list could could go on and on and on and on and on and on that, you know, they, we fought, we fought a massive war over racism 
And then we fought further battles over segregation. And now you have large swaths of our society who want to go back towards racism and segregation. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. In the name of getting rid of racism and segregation. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's confusion, but that's, that's where American society is headed. Even in that condition, it's still far better than a third world African society. Uh, and I, I believe there are objective measures to that. That's not just a subjective statement. Now, you might like one more than another, and that's okay, uh, but you're, you're going to have a far better chance at life, even in modern-day confused America, than you are in a, in a village in Uganda. It's, you just, there, there's no, there is, there's absolutely no correlation. One society is better than the other, okay? I, I love America. I love Uganda. But that, that is the reality of the two, right? Now, for our purposes as Christians, that would help us better minister to that society. But understanding that one society is better than another doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ died for the, for the sins of everyone in the world, no matter what their society is, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their hair color is, no matter how many piercings they have in their body or how confused they are. Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And if you in the village in Uganda or in downtown Manhattan in New York City will trust in Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven and your soul can be saved. And you can break away from these worldviews and cultures that are so confused and destructive, and you can adopt a biblical worldview and have a victorious Christian life. That's available to everybody. Now, how do we get from A to B? That's what we're trying to figure out. Okay. Well, we're supposed to be talking about the origins of the term, and I haven't even touched it. Yet. <laughs> I haven't even gotten there yet. So um, let's let's get into this. Let's get through this material. I don't want to drag this on longer than it has to be. I enjoy these topics and these conversations. They're conversations that are difficult to have because too many people are scared to have them. You can't talk about someone or 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 have these discussions without being painted or, or labeled as being racist or xenophobic or, or any other term that is developed to scare you into not having these conversations. That's their entire purpose. Well, I, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I don't care about your skin color or your culture or, 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 or I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about any of that. What I care about is your soul and then once your soul is saved, I care about you living in accord with the word of God so that you can have a victorious life. That's, what, that's my aim. That's my goal. If you're so shallow as to divide people by their skin color, if you are actually racist, you're a problem. You should, you know, go away. <laughs> Just go hide in a hole. Don't reproduce yourself. You know, if you are an actual racist, not, not, a, not, not racist in accord with um, the modern day uh, uh, false accusations of racism. If you are an actual racist, if you believe that that you are superior, one, you know, if you are superior to to a, to a different race of people because of your skin color, you're a loser, and you're confused. There's nothing Christian about that. There's nothing biblical about that. So that that is not in our purview. Um, there are objective measures to the realities that. Some societies have done better than others, and it is because of their worldview. It's because of what undergirds their thinking and their daily lives and their choices. Uh, 
All right. But to just simply say, I am better because my skin color, well, that's idiotic. How is having skin color an attainment in life? You were born with it. You didn't achieve anything by having skin color. You didn't achieve anything by being born somewhere. Okay, I'm not better because I'm an American. I'm not better than a, a Ugandan in the village because I'm an American. My society is better and affords me far more opportunity. But that doesn't make me, that doesn't put me uh, in an elevated state in life as better than, than, than other people or other groups of people. All right, so that's, these things need to be clarified because some of you are going to listen to this and you're going to squirm. You're not going to feel comfortable because you're so, you're so saturated with the world's perspective on these things that you don't understand. All right, God is no respecter of persons. That couldn't be any more clear. That should be your, that's, that's the best way to approach this matter. God is no respecter of persons. I'm no respecter of persons. Okay. But if I get to choose whether I'm going to live in, in uh, Tennessee or somewhere overseas in a third world, give me Tennessee. <laughs> it's, you know, there, there, there is, there is something to that. And, and I'm okay with that. Um, I'm not against the third world. I'm not, I'm not condemning them in any way. But, you know, we talk all the time to the guys here. Um, they wonder why so much of Africa remains in a constant state of poverty. And then we start looking at their lives and seeing how much of their societal life is anti-biblical. Their work ethic or lack thereof. Their honesty or lack thereof. Their willingness to earn money and then their their uh, 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 the, the way they manage the way they steward the money that they earn some of it, so much of it is unbiblical that there's no way you're going to be prosperous or come out of poverty or, or do better in life until those things are corrected and the way those things are corrected is first of all have your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ then adopt a biblical way of approaching these things all right now let's let's get into this recently Worldview as a concept has become increasingly important to various dis disciplines. I support the idea that it contains value and utility as a missiological concept, but everyone involved will not consent to a single definition or use. Disagreements of this sort are common. People in different disciplines tend to define each concept on their own terms. This is important to remember, especially from a Christian perspective. All right, now, when... The members of this world use this term. Again, it's, it's like any other religious term. I, I, we're, we're saying the same word, but we mean something completely different. So it's important to define the terms. Bible terms are often taken and redefined by some cult or apostate church. But when it comes to philosophical terms that can be helpful for Christian use, we have the same opportunity to define the term to suit our needs. We don't, we don't, we want to hear what other people have to say about it, but we don't have to adopt explicitly what they say. They, they often misuse and, and abuse Christian terminology on purpose to try and um, devalue Christianity. So we're not trying to devalue their terminology, but we will use it. We, we will define it the way we want to define it. We'll use what they have learned about it. We will adopt it and take it and use it properly so that it can honor and glorify God. 
We don't have, we're, we're under no obligation to define terms the way that, that the, 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 uh, the various disciplines of this world require us to define it. All right. We should understand it from their perspective and, and be able to note where it came from and, and give credit where it's due. But we're not going to, we're not going to leave a biblical perspective on these things and go join the world. We're going to look at what the world has produced and say, okay, that, that could, that could be helpful to us. So we will, we will bring it in over here and learn and figure out how we can apply it without violating or doing harm to direct, clear scriptural directives. All right. I hope that makes sense. Uh, to move our discussion in this direction, we will briefly review the history of this concept and allow it to help us settle on a potentially helpful definition. The foundational roots of this term are varied. One starting point might be Western philosophy, and that's, that seems to be the most, um, the most clear starting point for the term. Uh, there, there, are, there is some debate about where it came from and how it came to be, but um, it, it really seems like it came about through Western philosophy. Uh, Western philosophy began with the ancient Greeks and Romans, but eventually made its way to Germany. Now, we're not going to go all the way back to the Roman, the Greek and Roman use of the term or the idea. Um, when, it, when, it really became, when it really began to be formed into what it is today, uh, st- that started in Germany. All right, so it had its roots all the way as far back as, as Western philosophy with the Greeks and the Romans, but it really began to... Began to, to um, to kind of bud into what we have today. And it's become a big topic uh, across many disciplines. It's, it's a very important idea. Um, it, it, that really started with the Germans. Uh, this is where our term would have its beginning. And, and the word that they used is Weltenschwang. Uh, it was introduced by Immanuel Kant, and the term picked up steam from there. By 1840, its use was in full effect within philosophy. Now the word uh, Weltanschauung, it's 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 a compound word. Welt means world, and Anschauung means perception. So it literally means world perception. All right. So how how you perceive the world. Now, if you do any research into the idea of perception, that's a big topic. It's very interesting. Uh, I think. There might be a little too much conjecture um, with anyone that, that you would read or, or study regarding the topic of perception. I think it can, it can be taken a little too far, though it has a lot of merit. Uh, the way one person perceives things versus the way another person perceives things, that is an interesting thing to look at. It's an interesting idea to, to, to try and develop. It's complex. It's not as simple and cut and dry as we would like it to be, though that's not an excuse for not gaining understanding. All right, and that's where I have a problem with it. It's, it's often used uh, to, to excuse the problem with understanding, and, that, and that's, I don't think that is acceptable. Um, this term came to define particular points of view. The word is a compound word that literally means world perspective. It assisted with categorizing perspectives or varied points of view, as philosophical and historical endeavors turn to the study of ordinary men, they examine them within their societies as a whole. So rather than just only looking at the individual, they began to to broaden what they were looking at and and look at 
the the individual within a society and 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 that began to open a whole world of of understanding regarding human nature and human interaction and 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 many other interesting ideas um this allowed them to identify overarching cultural patterns these patterns were broad there were things like etiquette beliefs why do they believe this why do, why do you know in Uganda they believe they believe some interesting things one one thing they believe is when a woman has a baby and she's ready to nurse her baby they really believe she that woman must eat cow orphals if you don't know what that is you look it up i'm not going to explain it to you here if she doesn't she will not be able to produce the nutrients necessary to feed the baby I asked one brother here, I said, do you, do you know how many women in America eat cow orphals after having a baby in order to produce the nutrients necessary to feed that baby? He said, how many? I said, probably zero. And they're okay. <laughs> so ladies, there's one example of how one society, again, might be better than another for you. <laughs> uh, something else they do here. They, they, um, when a baby begins to form their teeth, and, uh, you know, the different things happen. The baby becomes irritable. Sometimes they have a fever. They have these different issues that come about from, from teeth breaking through. Um, many Ugandans, a goodly number, believe that, that the, soft, um, the, the, the soft packets in the gums that are the minerals forming a tooth, you know, that, that, that tooth starts out soft and then it hardens over time as it be, and it begins to break through. They believe that is a worm that is in your child's mouth and that that worm must be removed. Now, unfortunately for the child, the only place you can get that done is in the village with a village doctor who will use the spoke of a bicycle, pliers, um, razor blades, and any piece of metal they can sharpen to dig out the, the tooth that is forming in the child's mouth because they believe it is a worm that has to be removed. All right. So once again, I would suggest uh, if you live somewhere that doesn't do that, that understands that is a tooth forming in the child's mouth and they're just going to struggle until that tooth is formed. It's going to be a little bit painful, uncomfortable until that tooth is formed. You probably live in a superior society. <laughs> I mean, that's, if you disagree, uh, well, leave a comment. Tell me all about it. I'll be so happy to read it. <laughs> Maybe you can change my mind. Um, but I am thankful that my mother did not take me out in the country and have some superstitious country doctor take a bicycle spoke and start digging my teeth out of my mouth as an infant. Um, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, important questions began to be asked, such as, what are these societal patterns? How do they emerge? How do they survive? And how do others die out over time? Uh, it's not clear how these things happen. How do they come about? How do they become so strong? I mean, they can dominate a society. And, and how is that? Uh, how, do these pattern, how do these patterns affect man's understanding of new concepts? So when I come to... Uh, when I go to a different society and tell them how that Christ died for their sins, what does that mean to them? How are they going to take that? How are they going to understand that? Are they going to understand it? Are they, are they going to add it to their collection of religious, of religious gods? 
you know, what are they going to do with this information? So Weltanschwung is the term the Germans use to identify these collective patterns as an underlying current that guides the direction of a society. Anthropologists also played a significant role in the roots of the term. As anthropologists began to study different peoples world, worldwide, they also realized this foundational undercurrent existed. They quickly learned that worldview shapes an entire society's cultural understanding of the world itself. The realization of this concept leads to the theory of cultural cores and diffusionism, which attempts to explain how cultural patterns spread between different groups of people. With this theory in place, it began to be used to identify areas of society that shared the same or similar cultural complexities. This phenomenon would be used to explain how different peoples see the world and choose to live their lives. I, I'm telling you, it's a complex idea. And so for a missionary to just plop down in, a, in, a, in, a, in an extremely foreign society, somewhere in the uttermost, and say, well, I'm just going to go and preach the gospel to them. Well, not in Saudi Arabia, you're not. You get caught preaching the gospel. You know, so in, in Florida, we go street preaching. Here in Uganda, we go street preaching. You're not going street preaching in Saudi Arabia, not for long. <laughs> um, the, the, the punishment is execution. Well, what undergirds that? Why would they execute somebody just for telling other people about Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross? Well, there's, there's a reason. Now, with these ideas in place, societal configurations were formed. From here, we can see that a society's speech and behavior are nothing more than manifestations of their beliefs and value systems. That's why it's, it's so important to learn, a, to learn a language when you go somewhere. Um, their, their manner of speech, the way they talk, what they talk about, how they use different words. To, I, that, that, I, am never, I never cease to be amazed at how different languages use the same terminology. They use it very differently. And, and, and again, it's, it's culturally, culturally related. It's, it's, it's a worldview issue. And uh, it's, it's very, very interesting to look at and to look into. Um, this allowed foundational aspects of a society to be categorized. Thought process, assumptions, logic, understanding of reality. People live in the same world, but, they, but have very different conceptual arrangements. Uh, and that that fascinates me. Um, it's, it also scares me <laughs> to some extent. Um, you know, there, but the the reality is that though these these um, conceptual arrangements exist, there was there was a measure of uniformity within a local area. Well, what you're seeing in the West right now that that measure of uniformity is being blown out of the water. Well, what happens when that when that uniformity is gone. I mean, it, it, that measure of uniformity w meant that everyone thought at least close enough to the same that the society can function. Again, I wouldn't suggest it was coherent, but it could create some m enough measure of uniformity that people could get along and live their lives together, and that is breaking down rapidly in the West. Um, personalities act as ideological filters. That's important. That's significant. 
But how is it that entire societies end up with a common filter? That's incredible. How did you get the whole society to buy into this and to think this way and to live this way? It's amazing here in Uganda, the way they think, it's, it's society-wide. It, it spreads across the entire society. What causes that? How does that happen? And how is it that almost nobody thought, no, I'm going to do this differently? It's, 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 it's so interesting to me. Of course, a measure of variance exists within the society, but there will be an overall similarity unless society has completely broken down. That's the direction the West is going in. Concepts regarding perception are incredibly interesting, and there are as many theories as there are grains of sand. <laughs> Understanding common societal perception, as well as the variance therein, find great help from the idea worldview. This is where you really start to get into the, the, the foundation of it all. While this is a growing concept, it is not without its problems. It attempts to explain cultural phenomena from a cognitive perspective. All right, this is not just mental acuity or, or thought process. And um, when, when you limit your understanding of a worldview to, to just cognitive ab ability, why, why do they think this way? Then you're, you're again, that, that's a... It's a mistake to get to, to, to use that term with that limitation. It's far broader than that. Um, this limits the broader understanding of a particular society's mental or psychological ability. In this way, it fails to bring in the emotive and moral, which are extremely important. You, you can't determine why a society thinks the way they do without looking at their emotions or what undergirds their morality, whether that be their religion or a lack thereof. Now, a lack thereof, I mean, that's, a, that's debatable. No society lacks religion. And you say, well, I'm an atheist. Well, that, that, that means you have, you have chosen the religion of atheism. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a religious, it, 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 tries, it tries to answer supreme worldview questions, which is what religion does. It, you know, we're going to find at the heart of the reality of worldviews uh, is is some religious experience or or what what informs it is some religious experience and so so but we'll get to all that i don't i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but it, but again it, now it's not it's not explicitly or expressly religious but that is a major aspect of it all and um being an atheist is a moral is is a is a religious decision <laughs> whether atheists like it or not so um all three dimensions are necessary to explain what it means to be human. They are three aspects of reality that, in essence, belong to humanity and humanity alone. A secondary problem is a focus on seeing, on seeing rather than hearing. All right, so so our interaction with the world you you see it, you hear it, and you touch it, you feel it. Well, oftentimes the term worldview only deals with the vision, the visual. It doesn't deal with hearing. It doesn't deal with touching. It doesn't, you know, the, the, the way these things are, are, are play out in a society, the way they, the way they tend to play out in society. Um, so I, I am not sure we would be helped by emphasizing one over the other. In fact, if we emphasize one over the other, hearing is the dominant means of sensation in most societies. So, you know, you consider, just for an example, 
do, do people listen to the radio more? Do they listen to the news more or do they read it more? That's, that's visual versus hearing. Uh, in almost every society, it's, it's done by hearing. Even, even when the visual is involved, such as television, you're still hearing is the dominant factor. Um, all over the world, things like podcasts, um, you, you know, they're becoming more and more and more popular because people are not as attached to the visual as they are to, to the audible. And so th- these are important ideas to, to hash out and determine or understanding the idea of worldview helps us to do that. In most cases, sound is dominant, but both need to be understood to grasp the prevailing worldview. A more prevailing problem that may cause much confusion regarding the term itself is that it it is used to refer to individuals and societies or communities. Um, it's not limited to one or the other. So you got to be you got to give the context of what you're talking about. You're talking about the society as a whole or an individual within the society. Are you talking about the worldview of a country? I mean, how how massive would that discussion be, or the worldview of an individual, or a city, or a town, or but you know, it's it's these are things you got to 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 make sure you're being intellectually honest and heading down the right road you you've got to identify who you're talking about what you're talking about what what are the limitations what are the what are the demographics all those all those important things um how different can an individual be from a general society that's a big idea so then care must be taken when applying the term to manifest accuracy from germany in the 1850s until now This growing term is still dominant when referring to cultural concepts. Despite its potential problems, it is still the best term to fit the idea. In response to letters or emails I receive asking questions, I can't count the number of times I tell someone I disagree with the use of a term or application of an idea, but I'm afraid I do not have a better alternative to offer. When this is the case, we should move forward with intellectual honesty, acknowledge the potential problems with a concept or idea, but then acknowledge that you do not have a suitable replacement. How about that? (laughs) Then move on and use the term concept or idea. But let us take care as we move forward to use a term as as all-encompassing human experience, cognitive, emotive, and moral. It's got to cover all three bases or you're not dealing with the full, the full measure of the human experience. A society or individual's worldview can be summed up as the collective aspects of their particular human experience that causes them to make given assumptions about reality. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot in that sentence that we don't have time to unpack right now, but, but there's a lot to think about there. A society or an individual's worldview can be summed up as the collective aspects of their particular human experience that causes them to make given assumptions about reality. Now, my notes and understanding come from books written within the anthropological discipline and framework. Therefore, we will examine its background from that perspective. All right, so that's, that's the, it's the all-encompassing idea but it's deeply, deeply rooted. It's not, not superficial. It deals with the cognitive. It deals with the emotional and it deals with the moral and the moral. I mean, that the moral is, um, P- 
people always pick one or the other, you know, in some, some disciplines, they focus almost exclusively on the cognitive. Others, they focus almost exclusively, for instance, philosophical and religious um, use of the term is almost exclusively on the religious. And, and you're, you're, that's short-sighted. That's not, that's not all-encompassing. That's not going to, it's not going to bring out everything that undergirds that society. It's not going to give you a, a big enough view of what's going on there to really be helpful. And we want to be helpful. We want to be helped and we want to be helpful. And so we're going to look at it from all three perspectives as we move on. So when we say worldview, all right, you and I, (laughs) we're talking about a term that will help you to gain clear understanding of the cognitive, emotional, and moral foundation of a society. And those three together will tell you how that society is going to function. It's, 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 it's pretty incredible. And if you can figure that out, then that can help you put together a proper game plan to take the gospel into that society and effectively minister to those people. Isn't that what we want? Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.